All right. So, hi everyone. Good morning. It's really, really nice to see everybody here this morning. Um, I'm a couple weeks late, but I wanted to talk about thankfulness as sort of a spiritual discipline. Um, when we were planning our, our sermon series and um, all that a couple months ago, Jeff was asking um, what sections we would like to take, and I just went to, like, immediately I thought, oh, I start every single prayer with some form of thanksgiving. And didn't know where that started, and then I realized my grandmother taught me to do that when I was growing up. And she especially taught me to do that when we were praying over food. And you might recognize this little, this little uh, rhyme. It goes, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed, give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. Anybody recognize that? A couple of us? Yep, yep, some of us grew up singing that. Okay, so... Now, she, she taught me that before I was a Christian. I was, you know, itty-bitty, really, really short little, little fella. Um, so I didn't, really, I didn't really know what that meant. That didn't really stick in my mind, and I wasn't, it's not like I was praying a bunch. But when I became a Christian and got really involved in worship, and there's a whole story there with my testimony, I would hear songs like um, the song Forever by Chris Tomlin, and that's the one, that's the one that starts... Uh, Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. Apparently there's a dance that goes with it, if you see my wife back there. <laughs> um, so then I started looking up different worship songs that started with thanks. And I was like, maybe that, that might be why I got in that habit. Um, I found a very popular song from 1996 by Hillsong Worship called Thank You, Lord which I can't remember off the top of my head because I think it was so popular that it's one of those, like, you ever, you ever have that song that's like, it's so popular that it spawns like a million copycat kind of ones? That's how, that's how big this one was. Um, I think part of it goes, all that you're going to do, if that's enough to remind anybody of it. Um, there's another one by Bethel Music called Thank You that starts off like, how do I say thank you, Lord? Then there's another by Dan Moen called Thank You, Lord. There's a very recent song by someone named Charity Gale called Thank You, Jesus, for the Cross. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Um, that one's very popular right now. There's a lot more that just have that same, that same heart behind them of thanks, like How Great Thou Art, um, Great Is Thy Faithfulness. There's more modern songs that we sing a lot, like Counting Every Blessing, um, Good, Good Father, and I could name songs for the rest of the sermon, and actually that's all I'm going to do. So I've got a hundred different songs here just to, no, I'm not going to do that, I promise. That wouldn't be much of a sermon. Um, but I think, I think that illustrates the picture is that thankfulness and worship, they go hand in hand. They go together, right? But where does the worshiper get this kind of practice from? Is this just something that we've always done and we just do it out of habit? I would say that there's a lot of biblical precedent for it. So you've got Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7, which is kind of the, that's where I'm going to focus on, but I'm also going to read a couple other scriptures. So this is the ESV translation. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So that's Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7 in the ESV. Uh, 
The rest of these are in the NIV. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Psalm chapter 9 uh, verses 1 through 2 says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And when I was writing the sermon, I there's there's so many scriptures that that give thanks, right? We could we could list those forever. And I'm actually going to do that. So here's another 30 verses that no, I'm not gonna I'm not just gonna do that the whole time. Um, my point is that to add to the fact that thankfulness and worship go hand in hand. Thankfulness as a practice is recorded all across Scripture, starting all the way back with Israel, and even before Israel. When the Gentiles were brought into the fold of Christ, or as in when we were brought into the fold of Christ, there were some practices from the Old Covenant and from God's original pact with Israel that didn't carry over. Things like animal sacrifices, abstaining from certain meats, not wearing clothes made of more than one material. I think this is made of like five. Um, Lots of practices like that ceased. Thankfulness is one of those that did not. That continues with us today. So what's so important about thankfulness? Besides the fact that it's just good manners, of course. I mean, I'm sure everybody remembers, well, maybe you don't remember. I remember being a little kid and like somebody, like an adult would give me something and my mom would be like, now what do we say? And I'd be like, thank you. And the adult would be like, you're so welcome. Oh, you have such good manners. And everybody in the room would just be so impressed that this little three-year-old has learned like kind of the basic rules of being a decent little, you know, decent, polite human being. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, my son, who is back, oh, I think, I think Vanessa had to take him out for a bit. My son's seven weeks old, barely seven weeks old, and I'm already thinking about things like, you know, what am I going to do with him if I can't teach him manners, right? Um, I've got a, got a ways before that, but um, it's a good thing that we have the Bible to, to guide us through things like that and give us that example, right? Um, that we have a book to, to help us with that. So I'd like to look at Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7, and really study this in depth, because while there's a lot of verses in here that talk about thankfulness, I think this section is the most clear, at least to me, on why it's such an important discipline. I believe uh, Pastor Dennis touched on it back in September. Um, I wasn't here. I was busy with that little, that little boy that's somewhere in the hallway right now. Um, so I'm going to read through it again. This is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, so the first thing I'd like to talk about is the fact that there's something that's not explicitly said in the scripture, and it's the fact that Paul, who is the author of this letter to the, to the church of Philippi, that he has to actively tell the people to give thanks and to bring their requests to God through prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. And the fact that he has to tell them to do this means that it's not something that they're already doing out of routine. And... You know, we just talked about we have to teach little children 
to give thanks. We have to teach them to, to be polite in that way. So we kind of understand from our own human perspective that that is something that we, that we learn. Even if we don't necessarily remember learning it, it is something that we're taught. It's not something that comes entirely naturally. So we know that thankfulness doesn't come naturally, but these, are, these aren't children that he's talking to. These are adults. And they presumably already learned to give thanks in their lives. So why is Paul highlighting this? What circumstance and what need would make Paul feel like he needed to tell this church to actively give thanks? I think verse 6 gives us some insight into that circumstance, and it's anxiety, it's fear. It says in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do not be anxious, but instead be thankful. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, bring your needs before God. Okay, here is a audience participation time, or congregation participation time. Raise your hand if when you're anxious or tired or angry or upset, you do some fairly, or no, no, sorry, I'm skipping ahead. When you're anxious, tired, angry, you're just at the end of your rope and you're just about to, to snap. Raise your hand if you think to yourself, man, I am so thankful for this circumstance. We do have one hand. There are people that do that. It, is, it can be a really good discipline for a lot of people. I think most of us don't naturally say, God, thank you for this circumstance that's really stressing me out. You know, I've got a couple exam examples here. Let's say you're on McKnight in rush hour traffic. Do you ever just say, man, I am so thankful that I get to sit parked in the middle of this road for half an hour after working an eight-hour shift? This is just the best. I just love this circumstance. Or maybe you've looked at your rent or your mortgage recently. You just thought, man, I'm so glad that this number is like twice what it was two years ago. I had too much money going around. I just needed, I needed that raise. Thank you, Lord, for that. Or if you ever had a deadline approaching for a school project or a work project and you've just thought to yourself, wow, Lord, I am so thankful for this looming deadline that could end my career or end my, my or fail my class. Um, just so thankful for that, Lord. I don't think most of us do that naturally. And if we do do that, that's something that we trained ourselves to, to do. Um, typically, we give thanks for good things, not bad ones. We give thanks for gifts, for food, for time with family, for good traffic, for low, low cost of living, um, for having an easy time with school or with work. Um, I don't think Paul is telling us specifically to give thanks for circumstances that stress us. Rather, I think that he's saying to focus on the Lord and give thanks for him, despite whatever circumstance is stressing us out. Verse 4 simply tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And it doesn't say to just rejoice when we feel like it. I, I had a little uh, potential rewrite of it. Rejoice in the Lord when it suits you, when it comes naturally, when things are going well. That's not what it says. That is not what it says. It says to rejoice in the Lord always. We already know that thankfulness doesn't come naturally, and that it's something that we must be taught. And if we must be taught to be thankful, then surely we must also be taught to be thankful always, in all circumstances. And one thing that's powerful about rejoicing in the Lord, about being thankful for and thankful towards the Lord, is that it takes our eyes off of our anxious circumstances and fixes it onto what's important, which is God's glory and his goodness. 
It takes our, our eyes off of the nightmare rush hour traffic and leads us to say, God, thank you for this car. Thank you for my job. Thank you that we have safe roads. You know, there's, I'm actually lucky to be here. And then suddenly we become much more reasonable human beings, which I believe verse five touches about. Let your reasonable, reasonableness be known to everybody. Um, and I don't know about y'all, but if I'm angry on the road, and I, I try not to be, I try to be a good representative of Christ, but you know, we've all, we've all got our sins that trip us up. Um, when I'm angry on the road, I start to do irrational things. Like I get upset when somebody cuts me off and I try to make sure that nobody can get in front of me. And in reality, it really doesn't matter if the Dodge Challenger is in front of me or behind me. Like Walmart is still 15 minutes away and I'm not, you know, I'm not saving any time. Um, but we get upset and we start doing things that are, that are irrational. And what helps, is when, what helps is when we fix our eyes on God, on God and how he has provided for our needs. And then we can live that example. We can tell the world that because we're, we're fixing our eyes on that truth and we know that's true. And God has, given, God has given me a great deal to be thankful for. And that thankful discipline reminds me of that. And when I choose to be thankful for what God has done, instead of dwelling on my anxious circumstances, verse 5 says that that leads to reasonableness. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So like we said just a minute ago, I'm not, I'm not, and I, I won't speak for everybody. I think most of us aren't our most reasonable when we're anxious, when we're angry, when we're fixated on this worldly circumstance rather than fixated on the goodness of God. Another example I had was when it comes to finances. We know that well, that can be one of the greatest stressors on a marriage. It can drive people to do crazy things, like it can drive people towards gambling. It can drive people towards dishonest business practices. Um, one thing it's driven people to do lately on the internet is say awful things on YouTube or Twitter just so people will like click on your little link and then you get paid by Twitter and stuff. Um, it's really easy to look at our finances and let that like let that force us into a panic and say, I've got I've to make this dramatic job change now, or I've got to move to a cheaper area right now. I've got to cut corners here. I've got to stop buying that really expensive toilet paper at Superstore and start getting those gigantic 200 packs at Costco. That one might actually save you money, so that might be a good idea. But my point here is that we're not very reasonable when we're anxious and we're fearful, and it's because we forget who's really in charge. We think, we, we, we sort of act in this mode that we're the ones in charge. This is my circumstance, these are my finances, I'm the one in charge, I'm the one responsible for it. When in reality, this all belongs to him. All of our finances belong to him. He is in control, he has yet to let any of us starve, and he won't do so in the future. And we know that, we know that we shouldn't act rashly and that we should, we should fix our eyes on the Lord and consult in him, but we don't always know that in the moment. So what can we do to remember his sovereignty over our lives when our lives feel like they're going to crush us? That's what the thankfulness discipline is for. That's why it's important that we focus on thankfulness. And according to verse seven, that thankfulness towards God is where we learn to know his all-surpassing peace. Verse seven says, "'In the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.'" And Paul is saying that our practice of bringing our needs to God and thanking him for all that he is and all that he's done and all that he'll continue to do, that that is where true peace comes from. The sort of peace that makes absolutely no logical sense, 
the sort of piece that will look at those massive work projects and school projects and say, everything is fine, God is in control, I'm just going to do what I know how to do. The sort of peace that guards our hearts and minds in the ways of Jesus himself, guards us from sin. And this peace is so important, and it's something that I, I think about a lot because that's, that's essentially how I came to Christ. So when I was, I don't know if I've ever told my testimony at church, um, but when I was, I was 16, I grew up in the South, so I grew up around Christianity, but I myself was not a Christian. I would have said I was agnostic, like, you know, it's, if he's real, then he'll, he'll tell me at some point. Um, technically, that was true. He did, he did tell me at some point. Um, I was an anxious, overachieving 16-year-old honor student. Um, I was gung-ho to be the valedictorian in my class. Um, I was going for, I was going after every single musical opportunity I could find, um, every honor band, every honor choir. Um, I learned every instrument I could. Um, when the jazz band didn't have a bassist, I had literally no experience playing bass. And I said, I'll learn it. And the band director, for some reason, was just like, yeah, sure, you have literally no experience. And jazz is one of the hardest <laughs> forms of music you can play. But yeah, you know, give it a shot. And he let me, let me try that. So I would take everything that I could, and I was, I was miserable. I was doing all of these things in an attempt to fill my heart with the sort of peace that I thought would only come from success. I thought to myself, if I was just smart enough, I can solve all of my problems. I'll never have to worry about anything. If I'm talented enough, I'll land every gig I want. I'll make tons of money. I'll do whatever I want. So I'll be happy and content because I'll be successful. If I, just had, if I just had more, I'd be at peace and I could stop being so anxious. So when that, that anxious drive led me to start playing bass for a church, for my best friend's church, because they needed a bass player. And I was like, yeah, well, here's another, another gig. They don't seem to mind that. I don't actually think that they knew that I wasn't a Christian at the time, because it was kind of, you kind of, you kind of just assumed down there. Like if, if somebody behaves well, you just kind of assume they're a Christian. Um, so I don't think anybody realized that until I later confessed that I wanted to give my life to Christ. So that led me to, to go on this mission trip with this youth group to Cherokee, North Carolina. It's this massive youth group of 100 plus teenagers and adults. And that was the first time that I saw the peace that I had been looking for on active display. I saw people that were like, people were like falling over each other to volunteer for things, to volunteer for cooking, to volunteer to go down downtown and wash windows for five hours in the hot Carolina sun. People just smiles on their faces. Nobody was worried about anything. Um, and most of these people being my peers, and I was like, why are, you, why are you not stressed? How are you so happy? Like, it just, it, it didn't make sense to me. I remember how they would worship Jesus in complete abandon. Nobody being worried about how their voice sounded or if they had a voice crack. Um, they didn't worry about how they looked. They would just be on their knees and they would be bowing at the cross and they'd be fixing their eyes on the only thing that mattered to them, which was Jesus. And I'm not saying any of this to say that there's anything wrong with academic success or with music or anything like that, but there is something wrong when we try to use worldly success and those worldly things to fill the hole in our heart that only God can fill. And that's, that's what I found. And... I learned from the, from the youth pastor there that nobody could hope to achieve that peace without God. And 
that example of that peace is what convinced me I need to change course. I need to pursue this Jesus. That's the only way I'm going to achieve this, this peace. So that example that all of those people set is what brought me to Christ. It wasn't, it wasn't a sermon. It wasn't, it wasn't even somebody sitting there. Like some people, it's, you sit down with them, you talk with them, and they realize that that's what they want. For me, it was just I saw this example and I realized what I was missing. And I have a couple other verses here that echo this, this sentiment of peace. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I believe that when we rejoice and when we pray and when we give thanks, and when we do that all, regardless of our circumstances, we display God's will on earth, some, some piece of it. And that is one of the most powerful ways that we can share our testimony, that we can evangelize the people around us, and that we can make people see their need for Christ. So once again, I'm going to read um, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Um, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Um, so I'll ask us to, to bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. Um, worship team, y'all can, can come up. Um, so let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. And I want us to, to, think, to think about what we're thankful for today. It can be one small thing. It can be one large thing. It can be, it can be a circumstance that you're struggling with and you want to think about what you're thankful for in that circumstance. But I just want us to, to really dig into that question. What am I thankful for today? What about my job? What about my house? Um, got a newborn back there that doesn't always like to sleep. And sometimes I occasionally for a few seconds forget how blessed I am to have him. What are we thankful for today? We're going we're gonna to start worship fairly soon. And feel free, to, feel free to stay in that moment with the Lord and continue to give thanks to him and dwell on that. And as you're ready, feel free to, to stand with us and sing and just musically um, worship him in, in that way. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the way that you teach us, the way that you guide us, and the way that you love us. It's a love that nothing we could have ever done would have ever earned it. It's a free gift that you share with us. And we are so thankful for it. We're thankful for what you did on the cross to pay the debt for our sin, to make possible for us to be in your presence and to be with you, Lord. And I ask that you increase in all of us that peace of yours that surpasses all understanding. I ask you to help us to be thankful in difficult circumstances. I ask you to help us to fix our eyes on you when the world and when the enemy would rather us fix our eyes on the world, would rather us not look to you for our guidance, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
for walking with us and guiding us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's say our, our benediction as we, uh, as we leave, and feel free to continue to fellowship in here, of course. So go be Christ in our community. And bring our, and bring community, our community to Christ. Christ. God bless y'all. Thank you for being here.